Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. So today we are jumping into week number two of the good news. Um, and so what we want to talk about is what the good news is. What Throughout this series, what is good news? What does it mean? Um, because the word, the gospel, that's the, the original word that the, the good news um, comes from, um, that's what the gospel is. We talk about it all the time. Like we're trying to present the gospel to the world to tell them about the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he does for us. And so when we talk about the good news, we're talking about the gospel. What does it mean to hear the gospel, to hear the good news? news, but sometimes if we're honest, we don't always sound like it's good news. We always don't act like it's good news. Sometimes it sounds like bad news. And so how do we position ourselves to hear good news? And last week we talked about uh, getting rid of fairness and accepting grace. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to get rid of trying to compare my life to everybody else's and see if I'm getting my fair share. I'm going to stop trying to be fair because fairness doesn't work. Eventually, fairness catches up to us, and we don't end up wanting what's fair, and rather, we would accept grace. The grace is a, a much better deal than fairness, and so today, as we kind of jump into grace, I want us to dive into grace a little bit deeper and understanding what grace is um, and what it, what it means to understand grace fully and really accept it and be able to celebrate. Hey, we got good news. There's grace. Okay, let me understand what that means, and here's what it says about Jesus coming in grace uh, in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, from his fullness, this is talking about Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace, double portion of grace, extra grace. That's a lot of grace, right? It says the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So if we want to receive the fullness and if we want to receive all that God has for us, there's a second part to really understanding grace. And that's the one that we don't like. And that's truth, right? We like grace uh, when it's doubled with deception, Whenever somebody comes and tells you everything you did was right, you didn't do anything wrong, right? That's grace uh, that's doubled with deception, right? When you had a bad fight and you know who to go talk to, you know who to go hang out with, the one that, that is going to always take your side even when you're wrong and they'll just support you. They're your woo girl. They're going to celebrate you like, woo, you didn't do nothing wrong. That was all him. That was all him. He's just bad. He's just mean. And you know good and well you did, right? It's that friend that you hang out with that tells you that everything you've ever done is right. People just don't understand you. Though, though, that's, that's grace not with truth. That's just someone being kind to you, but not, but really lying to you. Grace with truth helps us understand the fullness of what grace is, what grace upon grace really means, right? So, so the idea uh, would be like if, if a doctor came in and was like, hey, I got the cure. I got your, like he was like celebrating. He was like, I re- I'm, I'm hooking you up. I've got the cure for your cancer. And you'd be like, what? Absolutely not. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't have cancer, right? If you didn't know you had cancer, that's not good news. It's like, well, uh, hold up, wait, I have cancer. Let's start there. Let's start with what you, what you came in for, why I came in. What are you talking about? You have the cure, right? That is grace, and it's an amazing story. If you come in knowing you're sick and he's got the cure for you, that is fantastic news. Thank you, doctor, for giving me this great report. But if you come in not knowing the truth of where your body is, where you stand, where your healing is at, you're going to be real confused. 
when they start to come tell you good news about the cure. Like this week, for instance, uh, uh, one of the leaders here at the church uh, found out about the, uh, I'm not, I'm, we're not going to politics, but we found out about uh, the debt cancellation uh, for student loans. And this is not about where you stand on debt cancellation for student loans, but we were talking about it. Um, and uh, he was having a conversation with his wife and he was like, that, was, that would be super dope for us if we had had that. Like, we don't have any student loans, so it's not really that cool for us. And she was like, she was like, uh, no, this is fantastic news. He was like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, I have $6,100 in debt. This is fantastic news for us. He was like, you have $6,100 in debt? So like he went from, from like good news now being like, well, I found out I was in debt. What are you talking about? We've been in debt this whole time. I didn't know. He, he was confused about how to celebrate because he found out in the same sentence, I'm in debt and I got it canceled. So like I'm, I'm the same as I thought I was five minutes before this conversation, except for before this conversation, I believed a lie. I thought we were out of debt. I thought we didn't have student loans. I thought something that wasn't true. So when the truth came, when grace came, I wasn't able to celebrate. Yes, we're having conversations about marital communication. Yes, those are things that they probably should have known. He probably should have known about their finances. Yes, we're talking through that. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is because of their lack of marital communication, he found out in one fell swoop, all of a sudden I'm in debt and it got released. Can I, am I celebrating? Am I not? It's confusing if you find out the two. And so I want to talk about maybe the hard truth to where we're at. Maybe a hard truth to position ourselves to clearly hear. Because if, if you really want to hear grace, you need to first understand where you're at. Like, wh- where am I for real? Like, what, what, is, what is the situation in my body? Do I have cancer or not? Am I really in debt, right? Because if I don't think I'm in debt, getting it paid off doesn't sound that great. Where am I really at? And to do that, we're going to take a look at a parable. Um, and if you're uh, new with the Bible and new to the whole parable idea, a parable is just uh, Jesus telling a metaphorical story. It's an allegory of, of some truth that he's trying to get to. And the story I want to talk about today is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, there's a handful of theologians, most don't believe this, but there's a handful of theologians that think it's a real story. It's like not a parable. It was a real person named Lazarus, a real rich man. He's telling a real story. But the, the majority of theologians agree that it's a parable. And in this parable, I'll give you a synopsis, and then we'll kind of catch up at the end for some of the verses. Um, in this parable, uh, Jesus tells about a rich man who had everything he needed. He had the nicest clothes. He had the nicest house. He was, he was taken care of on earth. He had everything he needed. And then he tells about a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus was, was poor, dirt poor, like to an extreme that I don't think we exist in America at this point. Um, it says he was so poor, he would sit and beg, and he had sores all over his body, and the dogs would come and lick on those sores because that's how poor he was, and that's how, how, how much there was lack of, of somebody taking care of him, just somebody to come by and help help heal your sores or cover your wounds or do something. That's how much he's neglected by society is that the dogs would come lick on his wounds. And and he was outside of the rich man's house. And it says they both died. They both passed away. And and uh, the rich man goes down to what's called Hades. It's a Greek word for kind of hell, kind of the grave. It's kind of a mixed term on what it means. Um, And then Lazarus, the poor guy, the guy who's got all the sores, gets to go up to an illustration for heaven, which is right next to Abraham. He gets to go next to Abraham, which is just like a forefather in the Old Testament. He's hanging out with Abraham. He's got everything he needs. He's hooked up. He's, He's got it all. And what happens is there's a, there's a gap where uh, Lazarus can't see the rich man. He can't see the suffering that the rich man is going. He's tormented. He's not in a good spot. This is our idea of hell. He would not be in a good position. He's tormented day and night, and he expresses that. I'm, I'm tormented. And he, the, the, the rich man can look up and see Lazarus. 
He can look up and go, oh, that guy's got it good, which is probably further torment, right? It's like really painful to be in pain, but it's another level to watch somebody else have joy while you're in pain. It's probably another level to watch somebody get good things while you're suffering, which let's be honest, Lazarus had to see that in the rich man while he was sitting, while he was there suffering. He would watch the rich man walk into his house with his nice clothes and everything taken care of while he was watching dogs lick his sores. So you're seeing the you're seeing the flip happen for these people. And so Lazarus is, it can't see him at all. The rich man can see Lazarus and he, he talks to, to Abraham who can, is like an intermediary. He can, t- he can have a conversation with him. He's like, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to have, have, the, have Lazarus just, just take a dip of water and come down, just put it on my tongue. I'm suffering that much. Just a drop of water would be fantastic. Just a drop off of his finger would just be fantastic for me. That's how much I'm suffering. That's how much pain I'm in. That's how much torment I'm in and I'm suffering and I'm struggling and that's what I'm going through. And he says, if you'll just take just, just a little bit and, and Abraham's like, listen, you, that's not how it works. He can't see you and plus there's a gap between us that can't be crossed. There's no way for him, even if he wanted to, there's no way for him to come help you, right? And so all of this, you're like, oh, I thought this was good news. We're talking about hell right now? This is what we're doing today? I'm so glad I came to the brick on hell day. This is gonna be a, a fun ride for all of us. But I honestly want the truth. But I would rather know if I'm heading in a direction that's gonna hurt me. I would want to know if the direction I'm going is going to cause pain. If tomorrow what I'm doing is going to hurt my kids, I want somebody to tell me, even if it's hard to hear. If I'm saying things to my kids and it's going to cause a detrimental future, I would want to know. If I'm about to head down a road that's going to lead to a crash, I would want somebody to tell me. And so sometimes the truth is the most graceful thing that we can find. And the truth is there is a hell. The truth is if you believe in Scripture and what God is saying through Scripture, there is a hell. And there is eternal suffering, and it is going to be miserable. It's not a good time. There's nothing in Scripture, no matter what theologian you've looked at and the different variations of what people have thought hell was going to be, the different levels, none of them have ever suggested it might be kind of good. The whole point of it is to say you don't want to go there. And Jesus over and over and over again talks about hell. He either says it explicitly, uses illustrations for it, and he's trying to warn you, hey, the truth is this is why I came in grace and truth. This is why Jesus came with grace and truth. I can't give you grace if I sit there and watch you go to a place that's going to make you suffer. So first I got to tell you the truth, and that is stop where you're going and go the other route. It wasn't meant for us. Jesus is clear. The scriptures are clear. Hell was never meant for us. It was never designed for us to go. There was never God's will for us to go there. It was never something he desired for us to experience was hell, which is why he's saying stop. That's the whole word of repent. You are going one direction. Please stop and go the other one. You are heading off a cliff. If you keep driving down this road, that bridge is out and you are going to fall and die. Please stop. And for many of us, many of the world, myself included, sometimes we hear that as that's rude. How dare you judge my life? How dare you tell me what I'm doing? I'm like, no, 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 I'm not trying to say, I've gone down that road with you. I know what you're experiencing. I know what it feels like to be heading in the direction you're heading. So I'm trying to help you. And it's like, no, don't judge me. Don't tell me which direction I'm going. It's hard to hear sometimes, but sometimes it's the truth that we need. Sometimes we need to understand that maybe the direction we're going, both in an eternal perspective and temporary things, it might hurt us. And the most gracious thing we can do is have a friend that sits down with us and says, hey, you're going the wrong way. This is hurting you. Maybe in a big perspective, like you're just absolutely spiritually going the wrong way. And maybe little things in your life. Maybe the most gracious thing you can do is have a friend that loves you enough to, to, to overcome the fear of you being upset and to sit down with you and saying, man, I love you enough to tell you the way you speak to your wife, I don't think that's helpful for your marriage. 
Maybe the most gracious thing a friend can do for you is like, the, the way you're dealing with school, you're going into a lot of debt for school. And it seems like you're not, you're not really showing up to class. You're not taking this seriously. And I've been in debt. I don't want to see you in that kind of debt. Maybe the most gracious thing someone could ever do for you is tell you the hard truth. And for so many of us, we would rather live blind and just keep going the wrong direction and keep heading towards suffering. And God is saying, I can't give you grace and just let you go the other way. I can't just give you grace and deception. It doesn't work together. I've got to give you grace and truth. And so the rich man says, all right, you can't, you can't help me. You can't help me. It's already too late for me. He says, if you could do this, if you could send Lazarus to, to go tell my five brothers, I don't want them to suffer the way that I'm suffering. If you could send Lazarus to my five brothers, that would, that would be better than nothing because I don't want to see them suffer the way that I suffer. And here's where we catch up with what Jesus is saying in, uh, in Luke chapter 16, verse 31. It says, he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus is saying, if, if what I gave them isn't enough, the truth that they already know, if it's not sufficient, I can't give them more truth for them to understand and turn around. If, if I tell you, hey, stop doing this, like, if you know, right, let's talk about something we all know. If we know that smoking over and over and over again is eventually going to cause cancer, there's not more I can tell you. There's not more I can tell you. It's not more data that we need. It's not more information. If it doesn't stop me at some point, like, man, I want to be here for my kids. I want to be here. At some point, it becomes a spot where it's like, there's not more I can tell you. You've got to decide to activate on the truth you've been given. There's not more truth that's going to help. And that's what he's saying about his brothers. He's saying, listen, I gave them Moses and the prophets. He's saying, I gave them the Old Testament. He's referring to the Old Testament. He's saying, I gave them the Old Testament, and they understand clearly. This is a Jewish culture. It's not about them being uh, doubtful that God exists. It's not them about their questions and their wrestle with their faith. It's about them understanding and knowing what they should do and clearly deciding not to do it. They're not going to be convinced to turn their actions around if they already know that their actions are leading them the wrong direction. If I send you from the dead and it's a ghost, maybe they're going to be scared and do it for a couple months, but they're going to go right back because they already knew what they should have been doing and they were, cho they were choosing day in and day out to not do it. And that's the question that we want to ask ourselves today. Is am I doing, with, uh, am I faithful with the truth I've been given? That's the question, right? You can't know what you don't know. You can't be 100% about almost anything in life. But you can be faithful with what truth you've been given. Many of us are asking God for a sign. God, just show me. If you could just like, just like a neon sign. It can't be that complicated. Uh, you made the heavens and the earth in like seven days, according to the scripture. If you could just give me a quick neon sign that says I'm real, I'm here, that would be enough. That would be cool. That would, that's all I need just to know that you're here. If you could just give me a quick, if I could just know my next step on what you're calling me to do, like I'm not sure whether or not to take this job. If you could just send it in an email, that would be the easiest. I just pulled up my phone, I get the ding, and I open it up. I'm like, boom, take that job. God told me it was really cool. Who am I supposed to marry? God, you just show me. That'd be great. Send them. Make sure they have a bow on. That will clearly tell me because adults aren't wearing bows anymore. So like now I know like that's the one. That's a weird sign, but okay. Right? If you could just show me a sign and God is saying, I told you who to go talk to. I'm not going to give you the, the big 
over-the-top sign. Whenever I told you that there's a pastor that you could go talk to and have a conversation, he could be praying with you. That's one step. That's one truth you could activate on. I, I, don't, I can't give you like the big answer because you're looking for step 10, but I gave you step one. And step one might have been signing up for a life group to get around a group of people that can pray with you and pray alongside of you and be a part of this journey and have community that people are helping you find the answer and giving you truth. But we want the big sign. We want all the answer. And God is saying, I've given you enough truth to activate on, and I can't give you more truth if you don't activate on the first truth. I'm wasting my time and your time if I keep saying the same thing over and over again in new ways, but you haven't activated on the first one. For many of us, it was the time our kid was born, and we were like, we know there's more. This, this feeling of goodness, this feeling of what's going on in the universe, it tells me something. There is something more in the universe. There's something more that attaches to, to my soul that means there's more out there. And I need to activate on that truth and figure out and ask the questions of all the other things I'm wrestling with. Some of it's just a little morsel of truth that you have that God is saying, that's all, that's all I've asked you to do, is to be faithful in that one next step. And all of us, all of us, every single one, have fallen short of being faithful with the truths that we've been given. All of us, at some point in our life, and maybe daily even, have spent time knowing that we should have been nice to that person and choosing not to. All of us have, have known what it looks like to be kind and loving and forgiving and chosen, you know what, no, I'm not going to forgive. All of us have known that there were things that we were supposed to do and we chose not to do it, and that's where the good news comes in. That is where the good news comes in because Scripture tells us, hey, guess what? You're all in the same playing field. You've all messed up. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all, not some, not half of us, not a portion of us, but all of us are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Every single one of us are on the same playing field. We all messed up. We all had truth that we knew we should have done. We should have activated. We had goodness that we know we should have de dealt with. We had a way that we know we should have responded. We've hurt people around us when we, when we just, maybe just sheer neglect. Maybe we didn't say anything, but we knew what we should have said and we didn't. We have hurt people around us. We have caused drama in places that we shouldn't have. We have hurt ourselves in the process. We've done all kinds of stuff. And scripture is clear. All of us are in need of the redemption of Jesus Christ because we have all fallen short. So the truth is that we've all messed up. The truth is that all, every single one of us is not good on our own. Every single one of us is just not that good. And it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear that maybe, maybe, I, maybe I do have cancer and it's the cancer of my soul. Because I keep trying to justify my behavior and pretend like I'm a good person. And when I know deep down that I've done some really bad things. I keep trying to justify my behavior and my actions and pretend like, well, I'm a pretty good dude. I like, but I'm like, I'm actually kind of, but I'm not as bad as. And scripture saying, no, 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 all of us, all of us at the feet of the cross, all of us have to come to the recognition that we need a savior because we are lost. All of us have to come to the recognition we need a doctor because we are sick. All of us have to come to the recognition before you can ever say, Jesus, save me, you have to acknowledge I need to be saved. And he does it for free, but you first have to come to the realization I'm going the wrong direction before you can turn and go the right direction. 
And many of us are looking for cures in all the wrong places. We think that if we could just get the right therapist, if we could just get the right thing, if we could just get enough education, if I could just get the right partner, if I could just get the right kids, fill in the blank. We all think that there is something out there that is going to fix humanity's problem. That there's something out there that is going to solve this, this, this tainted soul that we have. There's something going to fix it. And the only thing that fixes is not education. That only teaches us to do evil better. I've seen it. I've seen masters and PhDs do some pretty dark things in the name of justification, in the name of all kinds of, of, of ideologies. Education only taught us to be more efficient at killing people. It's not education that cures us. It's not the government that's going to save us. It's only Jesus. It's only whenever we get to the root of the human condition and we start to acknowledge we're not good. We're not good. And here's what I know. When I'm teaching something that is not fun to hear, it's not like, I, like the whole series, whenever I went to pray about doing the series, I'm like, you know what? We're going to start to fall with something lighthearted. We're going to start to fall with just the good news of Jesus. And I was like excited. Just tell good, cool parables. And every time I got into a good, cool, fun parable about the good news, I had to set you up with bad news. Like, if I'm honest, I didn't like it. I was like, Jesus, I don't want to teach this. I was hoping for something lighthearted. Like, it's been a hard summer. Let's do something fun. Let's have a good time. Like, we're coming out of a global pandemic. Everybody's had a hard couple, three years. Let's do something lighthearted. I'm like, but I can't set you up for good news until I tell you the truth first. Grace and truth have to come in tandem. And I I, honestly, I'm like, I don't want to preach this. And God's like, I didn't ask you what you wanted. (laughs) And so what I know in this hard truth, what I know in this in this reality is that for some of you in this moment, the idea of, of hell, the idea that maybe a lot of people are going there is going to be an opportunity for Satan to get you off track. And what I don't want you to do is get set back because God's trying to set you forward. I don't want you to get lost in other people's stuff because you got distracted and, and worrying about other people rather than just processing your own stuff. What I mean by that is, is today is about you. Right? Many times in the lobby we'll be talking and we'll be hanging out like, hey, that was a great sermon. They need to hear that. Right? <laughs> Bring their kids up. Like, hey, say that again to my kids. They really need to hear that. So I don't, that's not what this message is about. It's not about anybody else but you. You just have to process this for you. This message is about you being honest with yourself about where you are and whether you're good and whether the truth is really true and that you really might have, have some places in your life you're going the wrong direction. You really might be a sinner in need of a Savior. This is for you. And, and the reason I know might set you back is because it almost set me back. The idea and the very narrow way in which I was taught the gospel really meant a lot of people were going to hell. And I mean, I, I was close to like not, not following Jesus. I was close to like, I can't do this Jesus thing. If that many people are going to eternal conscious suffering, I'm out. Like I can't, he can't be good if that's the case. He can't be good if that's how it was. And I remember really distinctly, I'm, I'm sitting in my room alone. I'm talking to God and I'm not even sure if he's there and I'm not even sure if he can be good. And I'm processing my like, God, if you're good, how in the world could you ever? And I remember him speaking to my soul, like just, just a, just a, the, the strangest sense of peace that like, hey, have you seen me be good in some areas, right? And this is not a, like a long conversation we have. It's just an emotional feeling that I'm trying to convey in a conversational way. It's just, have you seen me be good in some areas? No, no, no. It doesn't make sense that there's so much goodness in the world. Based on what I've seen in humanity, we shouldn't have made it. The nuclear fallout should have already happened years ago. I don't know how it is that we're still here. I don't know why you've given me goodness. I don't know why you've given me such an amazing family. I don't know why I've seen goodness in people around me. I don't know why I felt grace and mercy. So if you trust that I'm good, if I've been good to you, then trust that I'll take care of everybody else with my goodness and my mercy. What I do with them has nothing to do with what I do with you. How I respond, who goes there and who, who doesn't go there, who makes it to hell and who doesn't make it to hell, that is not our job. 
It is not our job to be judge, jury, and executioner for the world. Our job is to decide if we are being faithful with the truth that we've been given. And years later, I found this verse. I found this verse where uh, Paul is writing to the Romans in Scripture, and he's telling them, hey, listen, here's what happens for people who've never been given a chance, right? Let's, let's imagine, if we will, there's, a, there's still a tribe that no, no uh, missionaries actually gotten to. It's actually a true tribe. Uh, just a few years ago, someone tried to get there, and they killed them. As soon as there's outsiders, they kill them. So let's just imagine, what does God do with those people? They've been, never been given the law. They've never been given Jesus. What, what, how does God judge them? Here's what it says in Romans chapter 2 that Paul's writing about someone just like that. It says, they show, talking about the end of time, they show that what the law requires is written on their hearts as their own conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps excuse them on the day when according to my gospel, God through Jesus Christ judges the secret thoughts of all. So the way I read that, saying there's a group of people who don't, who don't, who don't understand the gospel, that have never been given the gospel, he says on the end, at the end, their conscience was there the whole time. Their conscience was there with them and can tell the truth. And that's, it's going to be a, there's going to be a trial and their conscience is going to speak up. Our conscience is going to speak up. Did you get a chance? Did you hear the truth? Did you activate on the truth you were given? And you're going to be like, no, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. And your conscience will be like, no, I was there. I was there when they heard that sermon and didn't do anything about it. I was there when they let fear win out and decided not to follow you because they were afraid of what everybody else thought. No, no, no. Your conscience is going to speak up and say, no, no, no I was there. Whenever they heard the good news about Jesus Christ and how he was called to set them free and they decided that they couldn't give up the things that they really wanted to do in order to follow Jesus. I was there when they said no and I know that they had a chance and they didn't. Because the way I read scripture is I know one way to go to heaven and that's you accept Jesus. It's a free pass. It's like, hey, if you just follow Jesus and make him the Lord and Savior of your life, you get to make it in. And I know one way to go to hell. And that is you absolutely reject Jesus. You say, no, Jesus, I'm not following you. He came and talked to you and you said no to him. That sends you to hell. Something in between is happening right here that I'm not sure about. I don't know. And I hope, I hope to God there's grace for a lot of people in this world because I don't want to see anybody go to hell. But it's not my job to judge the determination of whether they go to heaven or hell. But their conscience will and my conscience will. And the only thing that I can assess, I can't assess them. I've got a lot of grace for a lot of funerals that I've done that I just don't know. I, I know how they live, but I don't know. That's the between them and God. That's the grace between them and God. And their conscience, conscience will speak up at the last day and say to them, yes, no, you know, I was given a chance and I rejected Jesus. Or no, I never was given a chance. I had no idea. I did the best I could with what I was given. And there's grace for the, for the rest of the world. And so that grace that you feel for the rest of the world is not the same as how you should assess your own. Because just like their conscience is going to speak up, so is yours. And you can say all day long, and I know there's a, there's a few of you that want to be very careful in how I speak. There's just a few of you who are like, well, then I'll be good. Well, then I'll be good. Like, I, I mean, because I feel like I'm a good person. Like, I'll be good because I feel like God's going God's to forgive me because he's going to understand what I went through. That's not how grace works. See, grace is there when you accept it and you follow it. The, the forgiveness of our sins is there when we actually repent and turn from the way we were going and follow him. Grace is not something that is a contract you can bank on and go, well, he'll forgive me because that's not how grace works. You know, like, I don't know if you ever did this, like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to ask God for forgiveness later. There's not loopholes like that. It doesn't really work that way where you plan on sinning and then pretend that you were repentant of that sin and wish you hadn't done it when you know good and well you would do it all over again. There's not really forgiveness for that type of thing. You have to actually come to a place where you go, God, I trust you and I'll activate on the truth you've given me. And the grace 
that happens is that when I find out I don't deserve his grace and his mercy and I got it anyways, that's whenever it starts to become amazing grace. That's when it starts to become beautiful. That's when, it's, when you start to really recognize where you're at, what you deserve. And so what I don't want to happen is Satan to sidetrack you about the rest of the world. But I do want you to assess your own. Like your own soul, your own heart. Like, God, am I activating? Whether you follow Jesus or not, there may be small areas of your life. You're not being faithful with the truth you've been given. You follow Jesus, but you got this one area. Nah, you can't have my kids. I'm going to talk to them how I want to. Nah, you can't have my school stuff. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Nah, you can't have my, 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 marital rela- my premarital relationships. You can't do that. I'm going to date how I want to date. I got needs. You have all these areas that maybe you're not activating on the truth that you've been given. And God is saying, no, no, no. I need you to trust me more than you trust how you feel or what you thought because you have to activate on the truth that you've been given. So why does it matter? This is, this is the, the crux of today. Why, why, is it, why am I even here telling about, like, you probably heard about Jesus before. You probably heard about his forgiveness. It matters, one, because it's actually amazing grace. It matters because it's a beautiful story of someone who saved someone that was about to go off of a bridge. It's a beautiful story about somebody who was sick and got the cure. It's a beautiful story about somebody who was hurting and got healed. It's a beautiful story, but only if you can accept that somebody was lost, somebody was sick, and somebody was going the wrong direction. It is a beautiful story once you get to that. And, I, and, and once you get there, once you get to the place where you can just stop for a moment and go, wow, I got more than I deserved. Like, I got grace. I got amazing grace, abounding grace. I was, I was a wretch. I was, a, I was a, a crazy sinner, and yet God pulled me out of the trenches and saved me. It's a different feeling than if you've spent your life trying to convince yourself you're good. Because that's what most of us do. Most of us spend our life trying to convince ourselves that we're good people. No, I'm a good person. Like, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do counseling with people and talk about stuff they're wrestling with. And anytime someone comes in, it's like, I'm a good person. They have to repeat it like five times. They're not trying to convince me. They're trying to convince themselves. They'll repeat it five times while we're talking. No, I'm a good person. And then they'll go on and tell me about five things they did that is not what a good person would do. I know I'm a good person, but I did this. And I treated this person like this. It's like, ooh, ooh. I, I, don't, I think you misunderstand what church is. I think you misunderstand what the gospel is. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. And until we come to just being comfortable, tr- not trying to put on a facade of get, just, let's just stop putting on the facade of being good and start accepting that Jesus made a way for us when we weren't good. Let's just stop trying to pretend like the cancer's not there. Let's stop trying to put on the facade and just let loose and decide to follow the one who is good, the one who leads us out. I remember when it happened to me, like the first time it started to dawn on me. See, when I was in high school, uh, I liked to play games. So if, you, if you're from Muskogee, you've ever heard stories about me, they're probably true. Either one. Either way, I was good at playing games. Like I was, I was riding the fence. I was like over here doing the party stuff, the stuff I shouldn't do, but I was over here at church every, every time the doors were open. So I was like really good at both worlds. It was almost like I had two accents. I could just do, I was like British over here and Australian over here. I was just two different people. I didn't really have two accents, but you get the idea. I was good at playing the game, and it dawned on me at one point. I, I was playing the game. And I felt really bad uh, because I was going to church. I was going to serve in kids' ministry. I was about 17 years old. I was going to serve in kids' ministry. I was there because I was faithful. I was going to show up. And I had a hangover. And I felt awful about how, who I was the night before. I felt awful. And I remember walking down this really narrow, basically dark hallway. And God saying, this is where I've got you. This is where I've called you. There was just an overwhelming sense of peace that like, no, no, no. 
You don't have to be good. I love you anyways. What you did the night before, I still love you. I still got you. What, what, you, what you're ashamed of, no, 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 we're, you're good. This is where you're called to be. There wasn't this sense of like overwhelming guilt. There was a sense of peace of how much he loved me despite of it. And so then from then on, I started to work down this journey of really like, all right, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good now because I realized that like his grace and his mercy, it leads me to repentance. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start being good. I really worked my tail off to be a good person, to be, do all the holiness stuff that God had called me to do. And C.S. Lewis says, you'll never find out how bad you are nor how hard holiness is until you really give it an all-in shot. I gave it an all-in shot. I was like, I'm going all in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a really good person. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. And it was like, uh, I don't know if you got kids and you're trying to gather toys and you're like the person that doesn't want to like have to make two trips for anything, like the groceries or anything. And you start gathering stuff and you've got all this stuff in and you've got one more toy that you know you need to grab. And then as soon as you grab it, five others fall out the other end. And you're grabbing the groceries and they drop the bag on the other side. That's what trying to be good was like for me. I was like, good, over in this area. And I was gathering all this stuff. I was like, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. I'm oh, wait, I sinned over here. And then I'll be like, all right, I got that. I got that. And I was carrying all the weight of this stuff. And it never dawned on me until I really got to the place where I can't carry what it takes to be good. I can't. Like, I finally found out. I got to the place, like, literally broken, in the shower, weeping, like, in the fetal position, water running over my face. And I went, God, I can't do it. Take this sin from me because I can't. Because every time I try to scoop it up over here, every time I try to scoop it over here, it falls out the other side. I can't do it on my own. And that was the first time I really felt and understood grace. Whenever I could fully accept I'm not good. And God said, that's okay. No, no, it's true. You're not good. But that's why Jesus is so beautiful, because he died while we were still sinners. He died while we weren't good to say, I love you despite of it all. I love you when you can, when you can accept, I don't have to be good. You can stop riding this roller coaster of trying to prove it to yourself. That was the moment that set me the most free. And I was raised in church. And today I want you to be free like that. Stop trying to pretend you're a good person. The whole point of the gospel is to accept that you're not and that you needed a savior. And you can stop. You can stop trying to prove it to everybody else because Jesus already proved it to you. He already told you, I love you, I got you, you're mine. You can stop trying all the stuff that you've been trying to prove to yourself that you're good and prove to the world that you're good. And one day you're really bad and you feel like a piece of garbage because you're mean to your kids, you're mean to your spouse, you're mean to your coworkers, you talk bad about your boss, and I'm like, I'm a terrible person. And then the next day, you have a good day. You're on an up and you think you're the king of the world and you're full of pride and you're a jerk to everybody else and you're wondering like, why aren't you as good as I am? Because I crushed it today. And you're riding this roller coaster of trying to prove it to yourself and God is saying, get off the ride. It's not a fun ride. It's not a fun ride to ride and try to tell the world that you're good when deep down you know you're not. And that's the point of the gospel. That's why it's good news. Because you don't have to be. You just have to follow the one who is. So today, what I want, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, what I'm challenging you to do is to get off the ride and just follow the one you're called to. Be faithful with the truth that you've been given. And if you are a follower of Jesus, stop trying to prove to yourself you're good and start trying to follow the one who is. Because it's an ever-moving target of what's good, what's not good. And if you'll stop for a second and be like, I can figure out what my next faithful step is. I can figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus tomorrow. I can figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus in my next conversation. And when I slip up and I make a mistake, I'm like, oh, that's because I'm not good. Thank God for Jesus. I'll just get back up and dust it off and I'll keep following. Because my job is to follow. 
He will, he will lead us to good places and he will lead us to do good things and he will challenge us to be better people and he will challenge us to love the world more. But we don't have to be prideful about it because all of us are sinners. We don't have to prove it to everybody else because he's already proven it to us and all our job is from here on out is to follow. God, what have you called me to do? That's what I'll do because I trust you more than I trust me because I've seen where I lead me. I've seen the sin that I can get into. I've seen the actions that I can do. I can, I've seen the, the weight of the facade of goodness and how it's weighed me down. I'm done. I'll choose to trust your amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I'll choose to accept your amazing grace because I found out it really was good news to find out I was going the wrong direction. I turned yours. That was, that was amazing grace when I was heading to destruction and death and I found out you loved me enough to reach down and say, I love you right where you're at, right? Who you are, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything about how much I put in you and how much I love you because I got you. That's why it's amazing grace. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.